Ed Cohen, editor of GlobalBusinessNews.net, and your host today on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com. Coming to you today from San Diego, California. Our special guest today is Haley Riccio, SPHR and GPHR, and Vice President, Global Human Resources, for a company called Glass Point Solar. So that's uh, www.glasspoint.com. Glass Point Solar is the leading supplier of solar to the oil and gas industry. The global oil and gas industry consumes an amount of energy equal to 10% of its own production, making it one of the biggest markets for renewable energy. The company operates worldwide from the Middle East to California. Glass Point's enclosed trough technology delivers the lowest cost energy to power oil field operations. Let's say hello, a warm welcome to VP Global HR, Haley Riccio. Glad to be here. So, Haley, I understand you're departing really soon for the Middle East and then over to China. Is this because you have facilities there or because you're doing acquisition? Yes, it's because we have facilities in both locations. We have a group in Muscat, Oman, and in the desert where our project is deployed in Amal, Oman, and then our manufacturing facility and factory is located in Shenzhen, China. So I have HR teams in both locations and travel once a quarter to be able to work with my teams. So Shenzhen is right out of Hong Kong, isn't it? Yes, it is. I remember being in Shenzhen in 1991 when they were just beginning to build that up. It was dirt roads, and we had a guided tour by the Chinese government at the time. It was really interesting. So tell me a little bit more about Glass Point. Solar is pretty exciting. It's one of the fastest-growing solar companies, isn't it? Yes, it is, and our market space happens to be very different from what people would consider a solar technology business. We actually deploy solar steam for energy oil extraction from below the surface. So oil in itself is not a very viscous product, and in order to increase viscosity and bring it to the surface, steam must be produced and pumped in the ground to enable its extraction from the well. And our solar project involves a mirror encased in a glass greenhouse sort of a building to protect the mirror from the desert sand and the winds to keep it clean. And the mirror tracks with the sun and produces steam, heats the water to produce steam, which is then pumped into the oil field. So this is lower cost or cleaner than using natural gas or other fuels? Yes, it is. With the drop in oil prices, it makes it a very desirable way to not only increase the production of oil, but to also benefit the environment. And the Sultan of Oman is very well known for his environmental efforts. Do you have Americans working in all these places, or do you use local talent? 
We have both. In Oman, the Sultan of Oman has a desire, of course, to employ as many national individuals as possible. The remainder of those people are expats from all over the world. They are from India, they're from Lebanon, they're from Britain, they're from South Africa and the U.S. So you have core values. Yeah, I mean, obviously, respect for diversity is what what unites all your people. But, I mean, how is a leader, as a global HR leader, as a people leader, is there a secret sauce? Oh, I think part of the secret sauce at Flashpoint is that we do have a very, very strong culture and set of attributes that we model the employee behavior and our decision-making by. It permeates everything from our goal setting to our performance management to the way that we hire individuals. So our core principles are called SHARP, and it stands for S is for safe, H is for happy, A is for agile, R is for responsive, and P is for principles. And we can attribute all of those core values to any type of work that we do. Safe is number one for a reason, because we also manufacture as well as deploy. So we're very, very proud of our safety record and that of our employees, both in the field and in the factory. Once again, before we move on to more specific questions, by harnessing sunshine instead of burning natural gas or other fuels, Glasspoint helps oil producers reduce operating expenses while significantly cutting the greenhouse gas, right? That's correct. Now, how long has this company been public? The company is not public. We are still a private company. The company has been around for about seven years now. We're going on to our eighth year. And okay. in the past year, the company has grown quite substantially. We added about another 150 positions in the past year. The projects that we do are multi-million and can be in the multi-billions of dollars by the time that they're deployed and require a large number of employees to be involved in in the build of the actual product in the factories and the build of the project on site. So we're building and designing and manufacturing and deploying and across three different geographies. So it's actually quite exciting and quite challenging. How did you go about building out a global HR function from scratch. In every company, it's different. In building a global HR organization for Glasspoint, it really has become a merger of three companies because we have three very separate regions with very distinct cultures, very distinct ways of, of operating on their own. These three companies, prior to my joining, operated, while they may have been connected, they operated as their own individual units. One of the things that I've done since I've joined is facilitate the merger of data across three separate entities into agreed-upon standards or procedures or policies that could be deployed globally that and developing very strong leaders in each one of the regions. 
So I have a director in each one of the regions that is responsible for the HR in their particular region. Each one of those regional HR leaders also has global responsibilities as well. I'm very much a proponent of team and teamwork and learning and development for my own group. I've been fortunate enough in my own career to have a lot of opportunity to work globally, and I like to pass that on to my team as well. So while someone may be sitting in China because that's where they are located, and perhaps they've never traveled to the U.S., they may still be and they will still be working on projects that affect the U.S. employee base and they affect also the Oman uh, Middle Eastern employee base. So I make sure that uh, everyone in the group has an opportunity to run and lead one of the large projects that we do around the world. What about language? Are you, are you basically English-speaking, right? Yes, we are English-speaking. There are definitely some challenges, obviously, with people working with groups of people that are not native English speakers. In China, in the manufacturing sector, there are more people that speak Mandarin than English, and so that becomes that can become difficult. However, in the in the HR role, the English speakers are very proficient. One of the challenges, or I, I would call it a learning opportunity for the rest of the team, my HR director in Oman and my HR director in the U.S was to coach them, to let them, to coach them when they are speaking and working with our employees in China, who English is not their native language, and they are translating in their head to Mandarin and then back to English. And that is to speak more slowly and to be a little bit more articulate. It's been a very interesting exercise for my group because I have two people and my leader in Oman and my leader in the US they both speak very very rapidly so it's been a it's been a great learning experience for them are there lessons on not to use colloquialisms yes there absolutely are lessons on not to use colloquialisms however you would be surprised now that in China a lot of the employees that we have are in an age range that is they're more progressive than they were 10 years ago. I've been working with groups in China for more than 15 years now, and I too remember when Shenzhen was developing and was on one of those tours. That mine was in the late 90s when the city had been built, but it was still empty. Since then, a lot has changed, and surprisingly, a lot of the colloquialisms that we use are often picked up by our employees in China, and they use them quite um, quite well themselves. So I don't find that to be as much of a difficulty as I do the rapid pace of speech. Just yesterday, 
in a dialogue with a woman from a Midwest manufacturing company who's originally from Germany, but she's very well versed in American culture and speaks quite well. But still, in the written speech, uh, it's almost like a ritual to use as many Americanisms as possible <laughs> to try to fit in and be cool. Yeah, so that definitely has changed, and I think people are more interested in trying to pick those up and try them out, and they seem to understand them quite well. But yes, it is something that we want to be careful of. But also a must encourage openness because people, if they're not too sensitive, it becomes a laugh rather than a concern. You know, like everybody enjoys a laugh. Absolutely. Just to sum up now before we move on to another item. So you delegate, of course, and if you could just enumerate one or two top things that you look for in a local leader to become a leader, you mentioned all, all your sub-leaders need to become involved somehow in a global thing. Could yes. you go back to that and elaborate a little? Yes, yes, I would. And right now I'm in the process of hiring a director for China. So I can tell you what I am looking for in that person. I'm looking for the ability to communicate cross-culturally. I'm also looking for a very high proficiency in the English language, especially in China. That is a skill that proficiency in English is still very difficult come by. And it demands a premium, especially in HR, if you have a, a leader that is fluent or near fluency, demands a higher premium in, in salary. But I also look for curiosity, and I look for problem solving, and I look at the diversity of what they may have done in their other jobs, even if they've not had a global role. Although I would say most of the people that I've worked with over the years that are regional leads in global companies have had some interaction with another foreign subsidiary. So you're talking about leaders, and now when you're looking to hire, or I guess you don't do that specifically, but you certainly oversee it, when you're looking to hire individual contributors, individuals, not the leaders, but you're looking for people who might want to join the team and might develop yeah. into leaders. So in that group of people and the individual contributors, I'm still looking for, I would say, a high emotional intelligence and ability to communicate well with others in a variety of positions, not only with people at their level, but people that are from other countries, people that are in a higher level in the world. Especially in HR, we work across all levels of an organization, and they have to have some sense of self-confidence and self-awareness. I look for, a lot of times, I look for my, I call it bench strength or bench depth. I look for people that have uh, strong analytical skills or written skills. Excel is always a premium in HR. Spreadsheet, Microsoft Office Suite, Excel Word, PowerPoint, still to this day cannot believe how difficult it is to find HR talent that has very, very strong Excel skills. And that's important. I think it's important now. I think it's important going forward as we 
work to, you know, derive metrics and workforce analytics from our global regions. The areas that I find that I see line staff are the weakest in are the presentation skills and Excel, actually working with spreadsheets and, and numbers. And, you know, there is kind of a old saying in HR, well, if I were if I were good at Excel, I would be in finance. That's just not the case any longer. Our roles and the work that we do require that people have the ability to manipulate spreadsheets and create data sets, pivot tables, and de-lookups. So that, that skill is highly desired. And especially as we work with reporting and systems and, and things of that nature. So I always try to take a look at the people that are working on the teams where they can do their best it's important to develop a team, any team in any company, that people are doing the work that they love the best is usually what they are the best at. So uh, we take special efforts and care to make sure that we are assessing people through the performance management process to make sure that we have the right people in the right jobs. Some of the writings today from thought leaders about HR and the future and what it would be for HR at the table. Of course, talks about having the skill, as you just said, and able to understand and communicate about ROI and things like that. But from a leader's point of view, don't you think that marketing skills, communication skills, understanding how to craft a message, and deliver a message to various stakeholders. Don't you think that marketing skills are very important also for an HR leader? I do think marketing skills are very important, but I think that there are other skills that are, are more important than marketing skills. I would consider those sorts of, not that it's not important, it's, it's enormously important when you are trying to communicate across a global landscape. However, as an HR executive, the most important skills that you can bring to the executive table is an understanding of the business that the company does. And that means an understanding of each of the functional areas, not with a, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses, and we've all got our likes and our dislikes, and some of us gravitate more towards science and others to the arts. And I think that a well-rounded HR leader understands all aspects of business, from manufacturing operations to supply chain to engineering development and deployment, marketing, branding, and comms, as well as finance. Should be able to understand ROI and be able to understand the financial statements of the company. So with that in mind, do you give people lessons about the glass point and about the production of energy and things like that? We do that in our orientation, and we've got a very strong brand, employment brand. Uh, we use a really, really, really nice internal system called Jostle for communication. It's more of a, I almost call it a business-based Facebook in which every employee is involved and active and can like things and post pictures and we post articles and videos and trainings and um, those sorts of things to make sure that we're all globally connected and and aware. 
as far as developing those skills, I think that developing them in the workplace probably different from leader to leader. And when you're in a company that is still considered a startup, we're still around 300 people, so that's a smaller company. There is a lot of work that needs to get done with not as many hands. So each leader approaches the development of their employees differently. For my group, I will give them a bunch of responsibilities. A lot of times in smaller companies, the budgets are managed only at the executive level. My directors both manage budgets for their region. In that way, I believe I'm preparing them for earning their own seat at the table and giving them the exposure to um, what it takes to run a functional area of HR, not just a uh, local region. Uh, Haley, this has been really good. I want to uh, ask you now about your career. You've had two IPOs and also a large public company acquisition. Yes. Can you uh, address uh, what it's like to go through an IPO? Exciting. It's absolutely thrilling, exciting. It's a tremendous amount of work and teamwork uh, between all of the areas of the company. HR's partnered most closely with finance during an IPO and making sure that all of the data is accurate and that we are able to present compensation for our executives in, in a way that can be disclosed. There is a lot, tremendous amount of effort across the, the entire organization to prepare for an IPO. And that also includes, again, making sure that you have the right people in the right seats for an IPO. As a company grows and scales, people that may have joined the company in the earlier stages, including the executive team, is not always the same team that makes it to the finish line of an IPO. I've been through, um, as you mentioned, I've been through two IPOs and a large public company acquisition, and in, in most of those cases, the leadership teams that we started with were not the leadership teams that we finished with at the at the exit. And a lot of activity takes place in the run-up to an IPO or to an exit in the 18 to 36 months before the event. And financial procedures and process are put in place. Obviously, HR procedure and process, manufacturing procedure and process, and audits and those sorts of things are are conducted to make sure that we can stand up to public scrutiny. And then the actual going public and the, you know, supporting the CEO and the chief marketing officers, they go through the roadshow to sell our opportunity to investors is, is exciting as well. And I would, I would definitely say the proudest moment of my career was standing on the platform of the New York Stock Exchange as we run the bell for the IPO at Arrow High. At Enphase Energy, we had an IPO, and it was a NASDAQ IPO, which is a green screen. So you don't have the, the beautiful backdrop of the New York Stock Exchange to enjoy. So, What a great, a great life you've had, a great career, and 
I know you're you're still a, a young person and will be in a leadership role for years to come. I, I can feel that. Thank you. I enjoy what I I enjoy what I do very much. And someone asked me the other day, well, if you could do anything, you know, what would it be? And I said, I'm doing what I want to do and what I was meant to do. I'm a builder of organizations and helping a company get to an IPO or get to a um, exit where there is an acquisition that takes place by a large public company is the work that I enjoy doing most. And building a company is, to that point, is just one of the small aspects. Well, we've been talking and learning from Haley Riccio, SPHR and GPHR, and the VP Global Human Resources for a company called Last Point Solar, and that's glasspoint.com. Haley, thanks for being my guest today on globalradiotalkshow.com, and safe travels, Godspeed, and let's talk again when you get back. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. This is Ed Cohen, host, signing off from San Diego. Bye-bye. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful 